so excited you're here. Um, our great friend Caitlin introduced us, and uh, I'm just I'm just thrilled. I have so many questions for you. Tell our listeners who the heck you are and what's going on. Yeah. So uh, my name's Amy Bond. I'm a, a writer, attorney, um, business owner, and competitive pole dancer. I'm based out of um, San Francisco. Um, Bay Area, and I've lived here for the past eight years, um, kind of grew up all over military brat. And uh, I, a lot of your listeners might know me from the recent Netflix movie um, documentary called Strip Down, Rise Up, which is about, uh, like, broadly speaking, women's empowerment through pole dancing, um, and a lot of other things. And uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> In a nutshell. <laughs> That's just such an amazing like bio. <laughs> well, it's really funny because um, I, my husband and I opened our marriage like a year ago. And when we were like writing our like profiles, I just like wrote my jobs and then I posted it on Instagram and people were like, no, 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 you can't. You can't like put your resume on Tinder. That's not how it works. <laughs> I had to relearn how to date. <laughs> Honestly, like LinkedIn should be a dating app because like <laughs> the resumes are important. <laughs> oh my God. Some people treat it like it is. I honestly like, I, I fucking hate LinkedIn mainly because so many men treat it like a dating app. And I'm like, yeah, this is not the place for this. Yeah, that's so true, actually. <laughs> Um, wait, funny story about that. I was checking my LinkedIn last night, like for the first time in a month. Yeah. And I saw that the, the like PA guy from the Philadelphia Eagles, like the, the sports announcer wants to do a Quinn audio. Wait, I probably shouldn't say that. Whatever. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> but I get like the most interesting DMs on LinkedIn from people like, oh, I want to like try audio porn. So speaking of porn, can you tell me about your history and how you got where you are today? Just your background and like you said, you mentioned you're a military brat. Like what was your childhood like? Just give us kind of the overview of the life of Amy Bond. Yeah. So um, I think, uh, yeah, I had kind of a standard upbringing. It was very healthy, honestly. Um, you know, I'm the oldest of seven kids. Um, so I have six younger brothers and sisters. My parents are both in the military. My mom was in the first class of women to graduate from West Point. Um, my dad was Marine. He fought in Vietnam, like had a purple heart. Both my parents are amazing. Um, you know, as I get older and hear more stories about people and their parents, I realize how lucky I was. Like I just had awesome parents and, um, and they really inspired me to, you know, like be a hard worker and a good person in the world, which I think isn't actually that common. Um, and uh, yeah, so I grew up um, all over the place, a lot of suburbs um, in Minnesota, Virginia, California, Washington. I was born in England. And then when I was um, 17, I backpacked around here. I was like an, an exchange student in Germany and then backpacked around Europe for three years and did the like wanderlusting, like American in Paris thing. And then when I was 19, I moved to Los Angeles to be an actress and um, had no like background in acting. Like I'd never taken an acting class, but I was sure I was going to be like the next Natalie Portman. And three months after I moved there, I started working in porn because I just needed the money. And um, it was really the only way that uh, you know, as an, as a non-college educated 19 year olds that I could make a lot of cash. So I, I kind of developed this plan. I was going to get into, um, porn and 
make $50,000 and then get out of porn. Oh, and I was also Mormon at the time. So I had kind of like this double life thing going on where I was, you know, I was dating this guy in DC and we were like going to get married in the Mormon temple. And, but like, first I needed to make $50,000 in porn and then I would repent and I would go back to church. So that was like the grand plan. What could possibly go wrong? Right. And, um, <laughs> six months later, I'd been like kicked out of my church. The, the guy found out he broke up with me. Um, I got kicked out of Mormon improv group. So like that was a real low. <laughs> and, um, rock bottom. <laughs> rock bottom is when you get kicked out of Mormon improv. And, um, and from, from there, like got really into the sex industry. I met a guy who told me that I was worthless. If I kept doing that, I believed him. And uh, after a series of, you know, drug addiction and domestic violence, my sister flew out, like kind of pulled me by the hand and said, let's get out of here. And um, I was able to start building, rebuilding my life again, um, going back to college and kind of doing the college track that my mom had always wanted for me. Uh, you know, a good year after that. So, um, I have, a, I had a complicated relationship with porn when I was in it, mainly because I was hiding it from everybody I knew. <laughs> so I had these very distinct worlds. And the nice thing about Los Angeles for people who don't know is that, um, like it's pretty divided between like the Valley and like actual like Los Angeles proper. So I had this like porny world in San, Por San, Por San Fernando Valley. And then I had my, um, you know, very Mormon good girl world in um, Santa Monica. And I was able to keep those separate. Like I was able to hide it for a good six months before it all kind of blew up. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, a, a lot of people talk about how it, you know, I think the, the default story about people who work in porn is exactly what the abusive boyfriend told me. Like, once you've done it, you're the worst woman ever. You're basically like Mary of Magdalene from the Bible. Like you should be cast out and uh, of society and like, you're no good to anyone. And, um, obviously that ended up not being true for me. I, I, I worked in porn. I actually learned a lot about like loving my body and it, I was a virgin when I first did my first sex scene, um, with a, a man named Ed powers. He was like 65. I was 20 and he was really nice to me. And he like taught me how to like ask for what I wanted in bed. And like, you know, like he'd done hundreds of sex scenes and here I was this like nervous kind of like, I hope I'm doing it right, you know, <laughs> kind of 20 year old. And he really like took me by the hand and like said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's how it works. Here's what comes next. And, and largely that was my experience in porn was that people were really upfront about asking for what your limits are and what you'll do and what you don't do. Um, I don't know if this is still the case, but in 2003, long, long ago, um, when I was in porn, they would give us all of the actresses and actors, they would give us this like one page sheet where it just had a list of like everything that you could possibly do with somebody else's body. It, like, do you do vaginal sex? Do you do blowjobs? Do you do double penetration? Do you do gangbang? Like all of these like lists and you just kind of said yes or no. And, um, 
And so it ended up being kind of an awesome place to learn about sex coming from a background of being Mormon, where I was taught that sex was the worst thing ever. And if you thought about it, you were a sinner. And if you did it, you were a worse sinner. And, you know, if you got pregnant from it, then you were like, you're probably going to be excommunicated. So yeah, off with it. Um, and uh, so it was just this really stark dichotomy in my life um, and a really interesting way to learn about sex and um, a mostly positive experience for me. Yeah. I mean, I just have so many questions. I'm so interested in all of that. Um, you know, for me, like I've heard two stories about porn, right? One is the hot girls wanted story of, you know, girls being taken advantage of um, and misled and hurt. And then on the other end, you have, you know, Instagram sex influencers who are saying, yeah. you know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to my to, to me, you know, mm -hmm. sex work and, and, and empowerment and, and stuff. So can you talk about like, you know, how to make sense of this, like, and how to figure out one's opinion on sex work or just what to do with this situation? <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a good way of putting it. And, um, you know, I was not somebody who was like an empowered sex worker. I would love to like go back in time and then just like feel no shame. That would be awesome. But I entered the sex industry directly from Mormonism, where the only thing I knew was that sex was bad. And the fact that I was doing it for money made me kind of like the worst ever. But I had a plan for repentance. Like I paid, when I was working in porn, I paid 10%, um, which is the amount that Mormons pay on their income um, to the church. So I paid my tithing is what it's called. I paid 10% of all my poor money I paid to the church. So I convinced myself that I was like Robin hood, like taking from bad guys and giving to good guys. And, um, and I use guys because it's all men in both kind of, if you think of the church as an industry, it's, you know, largely dominated by men and, and that's written into scripture that and the men are in charge. And um, in porn, it's largely the same. It's mostly men who are running the production companies. I met so many guys who are like, I'm a hedge fund manager by day and like a porn director by afternoon. And it was just like, at the time, I didn't know what a hedge fund manager was. So I was just like, cool, like that must be what people do. But it was it, one thing that I didn't realize until I started writing a book about this is like, oh, I actually didn't meet very many other actresses, you know, like. On set, it was like one woman at a time. Most of the camera people were men. Most of the directors were men. And if there was another woman, she was like the assistant who went and got us coffee in between like photos and video. Um, and I'm not quite sure why that is because when you think about porn, you know, like the face of it is literally women. And um, and so like looking back, I'm like, huh, that's weird. Like, I don't remember meeting many women, but we all came in kind of one at a time. Yeah, um, I, yeah, keep going. Yeah, and, and so, you know, when we say sex work, that's such a broad category. Um, you know, stripping is so different from porn in that way because women, the women who are in clubs are often around each other quite often. And I kind of wonder like, how cool would that have been? Like to be able to like pick my, you know, sister's brain about like how she was doing in this industry. Cause I just felt like I was 
always alone. Like literally I was like on set with a bunch of dudes and then I was by myself or I was at church mostly in a place mostly run by men. And, um, and there wasn't much sisterhood or like bonding with other women in either of those. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing from you is that it's just a very complicated topic, not only your like individual experience, but how that might differ from, you know, a sex worker in 2021 or even a stripper in 2021 and how it's just like this industry that's made up of, you know, a billion shades of, of, of experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think, I think one thing that is so sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, not <laughs> at all. Yeah. You're now. being interviewed. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm just like, so impressed by these women today who are strippers. Like I follow this one stripper in Portland named Nikki Diesel. And she's just so like embodied in herself. One, she's an amazing pole dancer. So I follow her for her tricks, but two, she's also just uh, an amazing um, like presence and she's built her kind of brand around her persona as a dancer. And when I go to Portland, I like look at her Instagram and be like, where's she working? I want to go follow her. And, um, and I just, I, that was never an option for me, or it never felt like an option for me in 2003, which is like largely before social media was a thing. And I think the one, you know, people talk about the downside of social media all the time, but I think the one thing that's really nice is it's a place for people to connect. Um, and so, you know, if I had been, if I had had an Instagram in 2003, I probably would have been able to connect with a lot of other people who are doing the same work as me, but, you know, on the ground, I wasn't able to do that. And I think that's really beautiful and so cool to see that, um, these communities exist on the internet. That said, they're being shadow banned and they're being algorithm algorithmically like pushed down so they can't share their content. And, and even as a professional pole dancer, um, you know, if I have a lot of butt in one of my videos, then like that, those videos always get less likes, not because I don't have a cute butt. I do, but I think because it, they're algorithmically depressed because of the content. And there was this whole thing last year where certain hashtags that had the word pole in them were being um, uh, deprecated so people couldn't see them. And I know strippers and dancers and sex workers deal with these kind of like constantly changing community standards and guidelines all the time. And um and so that definitely is a challenge, even though social media exists as a platform. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm curious, like, you know, as a like young woman, I talk to other young women, this feeling of like shame around sex, you know, whether it's like an Instagram being taken down or even maybe you have a drunken night and you hook up with someone and you wake up the next morning, you're like, oh my God, what did I do? Like, how do, where does sexual shame come from and how do we deal with it? You know? Yeah. Oh man. If I only knew the answer to that. <laughs> Um, you know, okay. So I think, um, I have so many answers to that question. One, one obviously is religion. I was raised Mormon and Mormonism, it just by what many believe is not a cult, but it is a form of Christianity and bodily purity really matters in those, in, in Christian religions. Like the, we were taught that you didn't have sex until you got married 
and you, you, we had like guidelines on how we could wear our clothes. I have this mole right here. You can see it. And at 13 years old, I convinced myself that God put this mole here on my chest so that I always knew where my shirt should be above. And if I, my shirt was below it, it was because I was a slutty little slut and I was bad woman. And so I was always, when I was 13, I was always doing this, like, oh no, God's watching, you know? And, um, and I would tell people at church that, and they'd be like, yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so obviously the religious, religious influence is stark, especially in our country where so many people identify as, you know, some form of Christian. And, um, and I think there's a lot of just policing by, without the religious aspect, I think there's just a lot of policing by other people who are like taking their own shame and then like putting it on (laughs) women specifically. (laughs) Um, I, since I started writing about having been a sex worker, you know, I didn't start writing about, um, having worked in porn or writing about the kind of like the online abuse that I've, um, experienced by internet trolls and, uh, men who are stalkers and all of that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I started writing and publishing pieces about those topics that, and I like made a writer's website with a form submission. I, once I published my first piece and then every time after I started receiving all of these, um, form submissions, mostly from men who would tell me these like really long stories about how they've, um, been really ashamed because they suffer from porn addiction. And the words are always really interesting. Like you suffer from it. Um, you feel, they feel a lot of shame about it. And so many of them would say like, you know, I watched your videos and, um, I'm so glad you're okay because I assumed that you weren't okay. <laughs> no, that's, that's like real problematic too. Like I'm watching and I don't think this person is okay, but I'm going to keep watching. And then like you read a piece later and you're like, oh good, they're, they're safe. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> no. And like, um, but like porn and and sex, like everybody does it. And like, we don't talk about it. And so the fact that we don't talk about it or we're told not to talk about it, like, just like, it's this shame cycle that keeps building on itself. And I think a lot of people's first experiences with sex is actually sexual assault. And, you know, one in three women. And I've had so many students come take like a sexy choreography class at one of my pole dancing studios. And then afterwards, write me an email that says something along the lines of, I was raped, I was sexually assaulted, and I have never felt safe touching my body this way because it reminds me of an assault that I experienced. And now I'm doing it in a space that feels really safe and like, there's so many words, like, I feel like I can fly like that, like flight is this really common, um, kind of metaphor used in these, even I receive emails like this in non COVID times when our student studios are open, like every week from people, from women, mostly who have experienced some kind of sexual trauma and never let themselves feel sexy because that felt like a way of protecting themselves. And then when they did, and it was in a different context in a safe space, it felt revolutionary. 
Um, and that's a little bit about what the movie Strip Down, Rise Up is about. That documentary um, mostly follows um, a group of women in uh, at a studio called S Factor. And they go on this like six month journey to explore their own sexuality. And the filmmaker, Michelle Ohanen, um, watches, we get to watch through her um, filmmaking skills, like how they kind of transform. And, um, and, and that story is really true for me too. Uh, the first time I walked into a pole studio, I was learning this sexuality that was different than the one I'd learned in porn. And, and in porn, I think it was, mostly for like very technical it's like can you open your pussy lips so we can see your like labia better and so I would be like (laughs) pulling my ass cheeks open (laughs) and then and then in a pole studio it's a little bit more like you know like you're like softly grazing your skin and um and it just felt like this whole new form of sensuality and sexuality that I had never experienced before or known that it existed. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because there's this whole Twitter battle going on right now about the Cardi B Grammy performance, um, of WAP and what happened. I don't know. Basically. I mean, it was just a classic performance of WAP. I don't know. They were doing okay. the, the WAP dance and yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. <laughs> and, um, this, uh, conservative, uh, politician Candace Owens or not politician conservative voice mm-hmm. conservative millennial voice I don't know Candace yeah. Owens was kind of tweeting that you know this isn't the the role model girls should look up to that this shouldn't be kind of in mainstream media and I was just thinking about this idea you know why does what ass pussy resonate so much with women you know and why does it feel so like why is this been kind of our anthem And I guess it kind of fits exactly with what you do. Like, why does it feel so good to like acknowledge our pleasure to kind of like, just like, like say fuck it for once, you know, and not be so worried about, Mm. you know, everything all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think you have to have the space for it. Like there has to be a space to be able to do those things. If you're walking down the street, lately I've been seeing that old Ruby Carr poem going around about how when a woman gets out of her house and walks down the street, here's the 40 things she's thinking about to protect herself. And she's running across the street because there's a big man walking behind her and she's carrying her car key in her finger like this because that's what her mom taught her. Her taser, yeah. <laughs> I have a taser by my bedside and my cleaning guy's always like, why? I am like, I'm glad you don't have to know why. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, I just think like that song is kind of creates a container for us to just like let our hair down and be like, yeah, bro, like my pussy does get wet, like really wet. And it's awesome. And like, I do need a bucket and a mop and I'm like the hottest bitch ever, you know, it's like feels so good. It's like cathartic. It's like pole dancing. You can just be like, fuck it. Like yes. I'm a human being, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And I do think of like the slamming motions, like as a movement person, I'm very interested in like how different movements uh, like unlock something in us. And I think literally like the part where she's slamming her pussy on the ground and like, is like, yeah, like that movement is so much more fierce than like, uh, 
right you know like <laughs> and so I think there's something about that specifically that just kind of like jolts your your visual spatial whatever and it's just like oh yeah, yeah we're in it now like we're vibing and um, totally well you yeah. know it's so interesting because I was on the way here. I was listening to that song, like anyone by Justin Bieber. I don't know if you know it, but it's basically like this like song where he's like, I don't want to be with anyone else the rest of my life. It's like a very, you know, monogamy kind of like Christian like anthem. And then I was listening to WAP right after it. And it's like so funny that these two parts of me can coexist where like I want to be, you know, someone in a committed, you know, loving marriage if you will and also like I want to slam my pussy against the ground and you know you're in an open relationship how do you balance like those like urges (laughs) yeah oh it's a really good question um so my husband and I opened our marriage a year ago so and you know for six months of it we kept it closed back down because of COVID so it was like okay we opened in January but then on March 16th when we went to lockdown we're like okay like yeah we're not open we're not touching anyone ever again it's literally and- a restaurant you're following the, <laughs> the guidelines <laughs> oh my god we are now we're in the orange tier 10% capacity in my vagina um no just kidding it's definitely high higher than that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, no. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I have been married for eight years. We've known each other. um, Oh, thank you. Um, and, and, uh, so we were monogamous, not monogamous. We were definitely monogamous. (laughs) <laughs> until, last, until last January and um and so we developed a very strong foundation of like just me and you babe you know like only you forever except I did divorce law for a while so I always like felt like only you forever is like statistically a 50 percent chance and you know it's a little bit higher if you wait until you get until you're 27 to get married, but like not much higher. And, um, so, and my husband too, had always just kind of been like, yeah, like if we ever are attracted to other people, we shouldn't like hold that back and we should, you know, see what's out there. And, and I, and I think too, like both of us were building our careers. So for the first eight years, it felt very much like he and I were like, building together, like building a foundation for the life that we now have and working like, you know, when you start a new business, you're working like 60 hours a week and if not more, and you're living and breathing your businesses. And both of us were building our own businesses. And, um, and so it wasn't until last January when he was traveling to Seattle five days a week. And I was traveling to Portland, um, two days a week for, uh, various work things, that he was like, you know, I think his proposition was, I'm getting really lonely being alone five days a week. And his proposition was come to Seattle with me and like live in a hotel room. And I was like, what kind of like hotel room wife do you think I am? And then I was like, well, let's get you a girlfriend. And, <laughs> and then we made each other dating profiles and it was so fun. And it was like off to the races. And, um, And I think having built that foundation together really matters, but even for a lot of people I know who are in, are in very happy long-term marriages, 
they're like, hell no, I would never, I would never, like I went on one podcast and the podcaster was like, I would never do this just to be clear for the right. I think she said that like 17 times. Like I would <laughs> never, <laughs> but here's somebody who would. And um, so, yeah, we like built that foundation and we are both not very jealous of people. And, um, you know, for me, if I think the one thing that would piss me off is if I found out some information that I felt like he should have told me and, um, and so we're very clear that like, if there, if we ask a question, then we want to know the answer to it. And so like in our, we have like 20 rules about how we would date when we first started really two have only lasted. And one is like, if I ask you a question, I want a straightforward answer. And I want the details. Like, I want to know how my husband fucks other women. Like I want to know, obviously pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what like they love about him. Like, I want to know how their souls collide. And like, I want, I want to be able to tell him the same without him feeling jealous mm-hmm. um and then the second rule is like condoms unless it's going to be a long-term thing and everybody's been std tested um so those are like the two that have lasted um but i actually think our marriage is stronger since we opened it like i have learned so much about myself like i think i am so many different people that i didn't realize were contained inside me and my husband is so many different people with his um, partners. And so like, you know, I, I have a boyfriend, uh, in Hawaii and he brings out kind of this like wilder side of me where my husband is like a lover and like, just so sweet in bed. And it's like, you know, all about me, <laughs> me to be honest, <laughs> this guy is like, I want to pound the shit out of you. And I'm like, I want to have the shit pounded out of me. Like, let's go, you know? And like, it's so hot, but I never thought I would like love that. I never thought I would love like crawling across the bed, trying to escape and having a dude like grab my hips and like pull me on to him and like, just be like, yeah, you know? And it's like sexually, it's so different, but then also emotionally, like different people just bring out different pieces of us and like Esther Perel um like bow she's amazing everyone loves her (laughs) she wrote this book called state of affairs which is about cheating and it's about affairs and um, she talks a little bit about ethical non-monogamy and how for most people that jealousy switch is just not one that they can turn off and that really surprised me actually like as soon as I explored ethical non-monogamy and learned all these amazing things about other people and develop new relationships and was able to bring those back to my marriage and my husband and I got stronger. My assumption after that was just like, well, everyone should do this. This is amazing. Um, but it sounds like a lot of people just don't have that like off switch that I have for my husband has for jealousy. And I think that part's really important. And I would hate to advise someone like, yeah, open your marriage and then like ever blow up. So I am yeah. not an expert. Proceed with caution. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try this at home. Yeah. I, I kind of like, I find this so interesting because on the one hand, I'm a child of divorce and I am a realist about marriage. I'm like, you know, yeah. one person, rest of my life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you know, I'm like, I'm so jealous. And, and I have like, I like, like you describe, I'm kind of the person that can't turn off the switch of like, 
did, were you just looking at who are you, you know, who are you texting and that whole vibe? So again, we all contain multitudes apparently, and, and it's, it's a confusing area, but I appreciate you kind of just being honest about your experience. You yeah. Know, you know, when, yeah. when I see my husband look texting with a girl or like, or he comes home and he's like, I just have this awesome experience. I'm oh my like, God, I would die. Me. I'm like, tell me everything. Tell me every detail. I want to know it all. And I'm literally like with popcorn. Just like, and then what happened? And then what happened? And I'm like so excited for him. <laughs> but you know what's cool? Like, I really feel like just listening to you talk about him, like you guys are partners. You've built this life together. And it's like really a relation. It's based on your relationship together. And that's just so special. Yeah. I guess like along those lines, what is your, well, kind of on different lines. What is your relationship to femininity and like what it means to be a woman? Um, you know, like I read this quote, it's like a Betty Friedan quote that's basically like, you know, the moment you stop trying to be feminine is the moment you become like the best version of the woman that you are kind of vibe. Oh, I um, love that. And like, how do you, you know, balance being a boss? Like you have this legal practice, you have, you own the studio, like there's so much going on. And mm -hmm. then also, you know, like your femininity and wanting to be more submissive, wanting to get your ass like grabbed and pulled across the bed. Like what is your experience with being a woman? And do you identify, you know, as a woman, I guess I should ask first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am a woman. Um, I identify gendered, genderedly as a woman. Um, uh, yeah, I just don't think, uh, I think whenever I see language it, around like woman equals feminine and man equals masculine, I just have this like feeling <laughs> like I hate it. Like it just doesn't resonate with me. And like, I, my husband is so much more feminine than I am. Like emotionally and in his soul, even though I like look like a woman right. and like I have curled hair and like, you know, like boobs and like, you know, like to wear lingerie. Um, like I like to wear lingerie and then like do email and like, build my business. <laughs> like I'm not like lingerie and vacuum. I'm like lingerie and then teach a class or like, and luckily I can do my job in lingerie without it being an HR violation. Um, but yeah, and I really have more of a, a more of a masculine personality. Like I am very decisive. I, uh, you know, if I want something, I get it right now. And I am not very soft. My movement, even as a pole dancer is quite hard. It's literally called like a hard style mm. of pole dancing and, um, very directive, like all these things that you would kind of associate with men, Right. I, I like are very much my personality type type a um whereas my husband's a little bit more like go with the flow and like and, and honestly most of my boyfriends are too I think I have like across three states like nine men and one woman in my like stable as they call it and um almost, you're stable yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're on a spreadsheet so I know there's nine men and one woman and That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. That's crazy. Is it a Google sheet and you just like update it's a Google it? Google sheet and I update it once a week. It's very type A of me. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it, most of them are quite feminine, but they're also like six foot five and like look like burly dudes. Like I love a dad bod. I love like Same. a strong, 
uh, yeah, like a big body. And, but at the same time, they're all like, let me pet your hair. I'm like, I don't want to snuggle. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so no, when you I'm ask so about like femininity and womanhood, like the two just like are not the same thing to me. And yeah. it makes me gag a little when people conflate them. I could not agree more. It's so interesting, isn't it? How like, even when you say being a woman or being feminine, there's all these like connotations with both of those words. Like they, there are literally no, like there's no word that is more loaded than than those words. And I think yeah. that's really just like, I probably something every woman thinks about and, and wonders, you know, like how do I fit into this picture? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And like so many times we're like asked to perform our gender, right? Like at the beginning when I was building my businesses and I didn't have any money, I would definitely like flirt with handy guys, like, you know, but then I was just really like putting my porn persona back on like, okay, this is how you get what you want. Just like a feminine entity in the world. You like are soft and you like, oh, I need you, you know? And it's like, okay, <laughs> like, and then yeah. it works. So we do right. it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm so interested by that, you know, like women using this idea of femininity or like whatever reclaiming of their like their uh like their like sluttiness to get what they want where do you stand on that like you know women like getting their bread via these ways that are kind of like traditionally associated with the like objectification and mistreatment of women does that make sense what I'm saying absolutely and I think like it's a tool in your tool belt and if you live in a man's world you've got to do what you've got to do and like the rules aren't fair like if Mm. this was like a fair world where you know uh white people and black people were incarcerated the same amount and like women and men were paid the same amount and and there was like uh, equity across all spectrums, maybe I would feel like, yeah, we should play a more honest game, but no, like the rules are stacked, like, uh, and like they're stacked in the favor of rich white men. And so if like, you need to like, you know, be a little slut to go get what you want, like do it. Like that's a tool. And if that's going to be helpful to you in an already unfair world, then like, I think we should use all the tools we have. And I'm like rewatching Mad Men right now. And love, uh, love, love. But they do such a good job at showing the subtle ways that like Peggy and, um, oh God, what's her name? The beautiful redhead. Yeah, I don't remember her name. Joan, Joan. Joan and um, Betty, like the subtle ways that they have to work hard to get out of rape situations yeah or don't get out of the rape situations and like marry the dude anyway because they don't have access to their own money and like you know obviously we've come a long way um but like the debt the cards are still stacked against us so use what you've got yeah and I think it's interesting you know I think a lot about like using using the like just being in the game as acknowledging the reality of the game you know what do you think about like the fact that I don't know people like Hillary Clinton or even Kamala or like you know Meg Whitman or Sheryl Sandberg just these kind of big business women maybe like adopt a more kind of like masculine exterior or like way of being um is there a way to be like a like a you know feminine or or just you person in business in the world like how do you like ignore the what you're supposed to look like as a professional you know yeah 
I mean, I was still getting a lot of like recruiting emails on LinkedIn for like way too long after I started my own business and knew I didn't want to work in tech anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I just like changed my LinkedIn picture to a picture of me as a mermaid. And then like the recruiting email stopped, which is awesome. Um, but like, unfortunately, if you work for other people, you've got to keep like playing by the rules. And so like, it's easy for me to say as somebody who is like, you know, JD, the upper middle class, like da da da, to say like, oh, just start your own business and then you get to create the rules. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, totally. Like it's just like me. So easy. Yeah. yeah. And it's like very few people are going to be able to uh, drop out of the career force to start their own business and not make any money for the first five years and then have a pandemic hit when like you thought you were going to make money for the first time. But like, you know, so like, I'm lucky and uh, because of my luck and nothing to do with any kind of talent that like bullshit myth about like work hard and bootstraps and like I was able to start my own business and um, and because I have you know my husband is an executive at Microsoft and like you know we're we're very secure and so I'm able to do that but like most people aren't able to drop out of the workforce to to take on a lot of risk and a huge pay cut and, and by the way, I don't have kids, so I don't even have to think about right. that. And so I, I think it's just, it's hard and I don't have any good answers and I'm not going to tell anyone to lean in and like make it about right. that, you know, but if but only I, I just leaned in, yeah, <laughs> I'm, like, I, I'm leaning in so hard. I've fallen over and I can't get up. <laughs> I can't, I can't possibly lean anymore. <laughs> time like I really feel like we uh, the other side the left side I think also judges the Sheryl Sandbergs of the world a little too hard in my opinion and putting aside the fact that maybe Facebook is evil it might be it might not be I don't know but um like I I also think like that generation of women had to play the game differently my mom was in the first class of women to graduate from West Point And so for her, she had to wear like, literally her outfit was like her outfit. She would hate if I said that her like (laughs) uniform was like the shoulder pads and like it made her look bigger. And like, um, and she talks with like a very deep voice uh, compared to me. And that's like, you literally had to do it that way. There was no other way. And I think that generation just, uh, they were playing a different game than we are as young women today. Yeah. I mean, I just think that's so interesting. I, I, my mom was a tax lawyer at a time when women weren't really tax lawyers. And she always tells me just like, do the work and, you know, like just, and like do the work and and people will see it and all this stuff. Right. And then kind of my generation's point of view is more just like make a ton of noise, like, like call out the injustice, you know, be you. Mm -hmm. And so I just think like you're saying, it's all so complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and there is no one way and there is no, you know, mantra that will fix all of this. It's really just kind of a question of, figuring it out on your own and doing your best. And I just appreciate you coming on being so honest and, and interesting and funny. And I'm just thrilled that everyone's going to get to hear this conversation. So thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. This is so much fun. <laughs> Such a pleasure to chat with you and where love can, what you're building. Oh, thank you. Where can our listeners find you on the web? 
Um, I'm at Amy Sunshine 007 on Instagram. Um, and my studios are sfpoladance.com, uh, oaklandpoladance.com, and berkeleypoladance.com. And we should all watch the Netflix documentary about Amy. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> and thank you again. Happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Yay, St. Patrick's Day. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye, Amy. <laughs>